Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey people, this is Ben. This is A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers, my podcast, and welcome along. I have got as my guest this week, Brian Schutmatt, and I'm very excited to bring that chat with Brian to you. A lot of you will be big fans of his work, and um, those of you who are less familiar with him will hopefully be more familiar with him by the time you've listened to this episode. Before I introduce Brian properly, as is the normal custom, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, introductory stuff, a couple of sponsor reads, well, one sponsor read, and I'm also going to tell you that you can become a member of this podcast for £5 a month, and for that £5 a month, two cups of coffee, you will get two monthly exclusive uh, episodes with exclusive subscriber only content and that includes bonus questions from whichever guest you listen to the week before so there'll be uh, bonus questions from Brian on the next member episode and um, also a check-in with a previous small voice guest so for instance uh, I just spoke to Abby Trailer Smith who is currently in the process of funding uh, a book project on Kickstarter and that's been in the pipeline for a long time, something she's been working on for a while. So I had a little chat with Abby recently. I had a catch up with Anastasia Taylor-Lind talking about Ukraine and uh, reading me some poetry from her um, recent uh, poetry collection. Had a brilliant check in with Ed Cashy talking about his most recent book. All this stuff you are missing out on if you're not a member. So if you go to pod dot fan and find the small voice page you can sign up for five pounds a month okay so this uh, episode of small voice is of course sponsored by the charcoal book club and the charcoal book club has just opened the call for entries for the seventh annual chico hot springs portfolio review and publishing prize 2023 speakers are antoine dagatar stacy kranitz karen hattelberg anastasia samoylova Iga Posner and Vanessa Winship. So a pretty impressive lineup of keynote speakers there. And there will be uh, news on featured reviewers to come. If you aren't familiar with Chica Review, it is a juried photo book retreat that takes place over six nights at the Chica Hot Springs Resort in Montana. 64 photographers, I think it will be 64, will be selected by a jury and invited to spend the week taking part in portfolio reviews, artist lectures and panel discussions, as well as communing over drinks in the saloon and hot springs and much more. If you're a regular listener to to this podcast you will know all about it because I've brought two special episodes from previous editions of it uh, to you at the conclusion of the event one grand prize winner will be awarded the charcoal publishing prize and have a book published and distributed worldwide by charcoal book club the application deadline is December I'm, I'm sorry I don't know the exact date but if you apply now at chicareview.com so that's chicareview.com you will find the information that I have failed to give you chicareview.com if you're interested it's a pretty amazing event folks so I think that's it in terms of um, business I have got a very brief bio for Brian Schutmatt which I took from his own website 
Short and sweet, Brian Schuttmatt is an American photographer based in Austin, Texas, whose work has been widely exhibited and published. He's won numerous awards, including a John Simon Guggenheim Memorial Fellowship, the Aperture Portfolio Prize, and an Aaron Siskin Fellowship. Brian's prints are held in many collections, such as Baltimore Museum of Art, Museum of Fine Arts, Boston, Pier 24 Photography, Rick's Museum, and San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. And he co-founded the imprint trespasser with his friend and fellow photographer matthew jenny tempo so that's it there is um following that on brian's website a very long list of other plaudits and achievements and awards and stuff so you know it's all there but um you're welcome to go and look it up yourself at brianschutmat.co and um without further ado i'll bring you this chat i had with brian this was um earlier in the year at chico hot springs portfolio review in the spring i'd been wanting to have a proper chat with Brian for a long time. He actually has had an episode along with Matthew Genetempo on this podcast because, um, as I mentioned before, I recycled some um, sort of Q&As that I did on behalf of Charcoal Book Club for the Chico Hot Springs um, um, portfolio review that, that went uh, remote because of COVID. So, uh, Brian and uh, Matthew were part of that and um, I brought you a sort of two-hander with them but this is the first proper uh, one-to-one chat I've had with Brian and uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did Thank you for, for, for joining me for a chat we're here at Chico um, you're, you're one of the speakers uh, unexpectedly so because you filled in for Matt Black um, and you used to live in Montana, which I didn't know. Yeah, about 10 years ago, I lived in Bozeman, which is just west of here. And um, I was in a limited residency graduate program, so I could make photographs out in the Mountain West and then still go to the East Coast and other cities mm. for the sessions for the MFA program. Mm. Yeah. Had you already kind of decided to work on this project or did it, did it come as a kind of result of being, you know, kind of inspired by this, by this landscape, I suppose? Yeah, uh, it, it, was, it was a result of being in the area. Mm. I didn't set out to come here to make um, Graze the Mountain Sense. It just um, was a result of first being interested in little mining towns and then getting uh, influenced by the regional literature. Um, and then it just came together. Yeah. So like the main influence, I suppose, was Richard Hugo, the poet. Yeah. Um, ultimately, he, he really began to influence the work after I read a number of his poems. And um, he was fantastic because he would uh, use all of these small towns in Montana as inspiration for his work. And we'd have details about the towns and he would transform what he saw in the world um, into poetry for his expression. Mm. Um, so Richard Hugo, but also just the landscape around me. This place is very alluring. Um, there's a texture on everything. Um, there's a history to everything. So uh, it was really a good place to make photographs. Yeah. And what was it about the mining in particular that was sort of a, a draw to you? I think initially, well, I think initially with American West, I was drawn to the mountains the big open spaces when I was young. Um, and that was just a little bit different from the experiences I had growing up in the suburbs of Houston. Those big open plains and mountains weren't common for my upbringing, even though I was in Texas, so it wasn't that far away. Mm. But 
um, when I was young, I'd go on tour with my punk bands at the time. I was playing music at that time. And I'd get out west and just really be in love with it, just the landscape and its magnitude. Mm. Um, and then when I started taking pictures, I set my eyes on the west. And after a while, you'll just, um, I guess, um, get over those initial alluring features of the landscape and start looking around and thinking about what life is like for people in these small towns. Mm -hmm. So mining towns, something about their history and their texture, what they say more broadly about um, American culture and its economy in terms of the boom and bust nature of a lot of the towns, mm -hmm. uh, the realities people face. So that became um, just a real fascinating area for photographic exploration. Yeah, because yeah, I think you uh, read you saying that you know the, the kind of critique of what um, the American economic system does to mm -hmm. to the land and the people. That's that's definitely a theme in your work. Yeah, I guess it, it started with this in a way. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, I think the work I'd been making prior to that maybe had um, some traces of it, but it wasn't um, confronted as much. Mm. Is there some kind of consensus on where the West starts? Then, like, is it like where, where's that? Where's that division? In, 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 it's interesting know. because whenever um, maybe sometimes European publications or Australian publications will write about my work, they refer to it as the Midwest, right? Um, which is uh, in American culture, not the Midwest. The Midwest, you think of uh, Ohio and Indiana and yeah. Illinois. Yeah, the, um, the great pla the plains or whatever. The, yeah, the, yeah. And well, no, the plains are kind of the west, oh, okay. but it's, it's very so complicated. My and then California is is the farthest west you can go. But I think in terms of the identity of the American West, California is west of west. Mm. Um, and the the writer Wallace Stegner always associated the west with aridity. So um, at roughly the 100th meridian, um, uh, that's whenever there's, I can't remember the level of rainfall, but basically you lose rainfall the farther west you go. And uh, he suggests that the west is, um, uh, becomes the west, it kind of transforms at that point uh, geographically mm, yeah, into the mountains. So the Great Plains would, would kind of be the west. Um, the Rocky Mountains and then into the Great Basin and so on. Obviously, the desert southwest, we think mm. of as the west. Um, but it's interesting, too, because the west is... Um, it, the west moved west as the country was settled. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course, yeah. So you had the, the uh, colonial pursuit. You had settlers come in, pioneers. So at some point, Kentucky was the far west, and at some point, it was Colorado. And, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by something I wanted to sort of ask you about, and I don't know quite how to phrase the question, but that, you know, is this, a sense of identity for Americans seems to be inextricably linked to the state that one, you know, is either from or feels connected to. Does, is that, does that seem like true to you? Is that a fair thing to say? Oh, I think it depends on the state. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. cause certain states, I mean, obviously you are, one thinks about Texas when one yeah, thinks Yeah, Texas is its own thing. Yeah, yeah. okay. So I, I think it depends on kind of the the space, the geography takes up in the popular imagination. Because the mm -hmm. Texan will always be very, 
proud about being a Texan, I suppose. Yeah. Because yeah. um, when, when you speak to, or when you meet an American uh, yourself, like, you know, and, and one of the first things is where you're from or, mm-hmm. or the, and then do, do you, does one have a sense in their head of what, if they say a certain state, it's like you have kind of some map of what that means or what mm-hmm. the associations are or even kind of what that person might be like? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, um, maybe a lot of that could be um, false or stereotypical, but sometimes um, what we think of certain places or like the attitudes people have or um, Mm. places where you imagine people are more laid back can, can ring true. But also those converse, kind of conversations in a country that's as big as the United States is just interesting. And, and for someone like like I've traveled a lot, so whoever I meet, it's like, oh, you're from there? It's like, oh, no, great pizza place from there. Or mm. it's just fun to get conversations started too. Yeah, and I always find it kind of slightly surprising when I hear Americans say, well, I've never been to, you know, this, that, and the other part of the country. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow. I mean, because I, you know, I, like, I've, done, I've done a road trip across America, mm-hmm. but that's because, you know, it's like that cliche, you know, of, of it's, just, it's the romanticism of it that's, uh, that's appealing. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, if, if I was an American, I, I think I would have done that. But then I think, but wait a second, I, I haven't been to Newcastle, you know, in the north mm-hmm. of England, and that's like a few hours on the train away. So I'm like, yeah. well, it's no different in a way, you know. Yeah, it's like the kid growing up with the trampoline in his yard didn't want to jump on his trampoline that much. Right. It was there. And I mean, I have friends in Europe, too, uh, who've never gone and seen the historic sites or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Europe, so, you know, feels like that's a whole continent, but actually yeah. it's, about, it's, it's probably smaller than this, this country, you know, like... Yeah. You, could, you could fly from London to Paris and shorter than it would take you to get to, like, a Walmart from where we're sitting. So <laughs> yes. that, probably, that's not probably true, but... No, that's, yeah. that's close to true, yeah. yeah. You could get, or you get on the, on the train on the Eurostar. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but what, what I, I love the thing that you said was that I love the West, but it, it breaks my heart, and that's probably why I photograph it with such commitment. Oh. I say that. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it's very poetic. Okay. Um, you did say that, and yeah. I'm, I just I wanted to. I, I was interested in mm-hmm. what is it about it that breaks your heart? You think? I mean, it has a very um, violent history that will always come to mind, and because um, the United States is a young tr- country, that sense of trauma and that legacy is very prevalent. So, um, a lot of the nature of the conquest is still embodied in the landscape and then i think with my work the environmental consequences of it Mm. um mining or the way the country was settled it was it was just this big kind of uh, national project inspired by the philosophy of manifest destiny and um i think you can see all the evidence in that and the kind of uh, myopic and immoral attitudes people had about land use Mm. Um, but then again, there are some aspects of it uh, in terms of um, protection of the landscape, the national forests, the national park systems, and, and things of that nature, um, where some good choices were made. But um, there's that. And then just, um, I think in a lot of towns all over the West, um, where, because when we think of America, we think of this um, kind of wealthy and powerful country. 
And I think the American West kind of symbolizes America in a lot of ways with its its mountain peaks and um, its big open space. So whenever you do come across um, economic dispossession or environmental um, degradation or just a sense of social and societal neglect, it feels a lot more pronounced Mm. because you're measuring it against the grandeur of this landscape. And um, yeah, we just have this country that's supposed to be um, all about prosperity, and people are routinely left out of that prosperity. Yeah, exactly. The, the reality is sort of at odds with that yeah. uh, kind of yeah, it's dream just, or fantasy of the. It's, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't apologize. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's just like confronting the the myth of the American West and the uh, just a reappraisal of American exceptionalism and all that, all that mm. sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I guess the other thing that's sort of in terms of you know one's heart being broken there's the kind of, there's a kind of melancholy to mm-hmm. some of these places some of the pictures that you know your beautiful portraits um mainly of of men mm-hmm. and there's something like kind of profoundly melancholy about yeah. about some of those people mm-hmm. do you is that what you're looking for or is that just what comes uh, as a result of those kind of places and those kind of people being um, that's a good question i think I think it's something I probably carry with me, and that is, comes out in the work. All right. Um, but I, I mean, I, I would have a lot to say about. Um, I mean, you mentioned men, just the emotion of men, and I think um, historically a denial of emotion mm. um, is something I think about a lot in terms of masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, well, me too. And um, I feel like that's changing. Yeah, I hope you so. You know, I think the younger generation, I mean, you're considerably younger than I am, and then mm. there's there's other people here who are considerably long, younger than you are, you know. Yeah. I, I think of someone like Raheem, mm-hmm. for instance, who I don't know at all, and yeah. um, but um, just from the very kind of brief kind of interactions I've had with him, it feels like he's, you know, of a different generation, a different mindset yeah. in terms of the kind of emotional mm-hmm. uh, engagement we are sort of a Mm-hmm. Being prepared to sort of, uh, you know, consider one's own, uh, yeah, feelings, I suppose. Yeah, that also might. I, I hope he wouldn't mind me, um, <laughs> you know, bringing bringing him up. Oh, I think that's probably a compliment that he's in touch with um, issues in himself. But um, I think it's also beyond just generational. It's also probably um, um, social too. I think within the yeah. world of art, people might be more For uh, sure. inclined to to remark on such things but there are plenty of places in america even come from texas where you know guys are supposed to man up yeah yeah, man up from the moment you're born you will be this way you will not cry you will not you know yeah 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 Yeah, and certainly some of these these kind of gentlemen that you've photographed in 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 this book in in graze the mountain sands i mean yeah they're from that that generation and but also that like you say kind of more of an educational demographic i suppose could be um Um, your your dad was what a construction was he in yeah he worked in construction when I was growing up and I've said that um, the kind of the way he talked about work and the guys he spent time with on the job um, really shaped my view of the working class so um, that the that book is dedicated to him Yeah, yeah 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 I can see that so you've combined sort of landscape and portraits together and and I I think you said that you know land and people have a shared story I like that I like that can you kind of maybe talk a little more about that yeah um 
people influence the land with the, whether it's mining or habitation, agriculture, and the land shapes the people too. Um, in history, there's the frontier theory. It's a big concept in American history that mm -hmm. said the the expansion of America and turning the frontier into so-called civilization made Americans what they were. So I think um, in a lot of ways, um, there's that back and forth between land and people. And then, um, you know, it might be, it might take some imaginative leaps, but I also like to find commonality between people and place um, just almost on the surfaces of things. Mm -hmm. like. Uh, Jeffrey Dyer talked about it in the ongoing moment with uh, Dorothea Lang, um, how you could sense the landscape in the people um, just kind of through the textures of their clothing or their skin, and um, you, you just see how they were part of the same place, mm. yeah, and shaped one another. Yeah, I, 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 well, it seems feels like it brings brings me back to that previous question about you know mm -hmm. like the sense of identity and how you know. Mm -hmm. the, it's inextricably linked with the, 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 the kind of landscape of that particular part of America that you might mm -hmm. bring to mind, you know, and that, yeah. those people. Um, I wanted to ask you, well, the other projects that you've done, I mean, I mean, I want to ask you a little bit about, um, well, Good God Damn was mm -hmm. another one of your books. Yeah. Um, and you normally, uh, as people will who know your work will probably know, you, you work with large format you know mm -hmm. view camera four five all that um it's very much kind of integral to the way that you work but then then with this other project suddenly it was a very different ball game you you, mm -hmm. you went to a 35 mil and i was just wondering if that was an, you know it was an interesting experience for you in, in terms of the creative process and you know how that influenced the way that the images turned out mm -hmm. and whether it was in some way liberating or, or freeing to do that um let's let's talk a little bit about this this project sure yeah it was very liberating because in years prior and still now on other ongoing projects i have i use large format it's a slow process and with good goddamn and with other work i'm making in texas um on a smaller format handheld I do things I wouldn't do on a mm. large format camera. And with Good Goddamn, for instance, I think that there's more of a sense of movement and gesture and blur. Mm. Um, and that's, um, that's probably a result of the choice of camera. And I chose that camera because I had to shoot the project quickly. And um, I think that's reflected in the style of the work, ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's tell them what it's about, if they don't know. Um, mm -hmm. This was about a friend of yours, Chris. Tell, yeah. tell us about the sort of context... Um, in well, which the work was made. Yeah, I uh, my parents have property out in uh, the Texas countryside in a place called Leon County. Um, it's kind of East Texas woods, farmland, and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris lives nearby, became a family friend. Um, and I, I'd always wanted to photograph him just because he's an interesting guy. He has this rugged personality, and he wears these like amazing kind of uh, scruffy clothes and he's just a character um i really really like the guy he's one of these people who can't help but be anything but himself mm. it, just, it just doesn't occur to him to be phony so i always like being around him um and i always want to make a portraits of him but i didn't really have anything in mind and there was no there's nothing kind of no urgency yeah. to it but anyway um i finally decided to make pictures of him because he had an impending prison sentence. Mm. Uh, so I said, Chris, before you go in, uh, I want to take some portraits. 
So I took some portraits of Chris and then I looked at them and said, shit, I got to make more mm. uh, pictures. So yeah, it's just basically his, his last days before prison, um, his disquieted sense of anticipation and his final expressions of freedom, mm. whether mm. that's driving around in his truck or shooting a gun or drinking beers. Um, yeah. Yeah. It- yeah, because you don't often think that this is a scenario that people are in. You think, you know, like you, you know, you're you're, you're in court and you you're guilty, and then they take you away and you go straight to, yeah. to, to to jail. You know, and it's like this this kind of dramatic thing. But this is a, a must be an extraordinarily weird uh, experience mm-hmm. to have to go through to know that you know you're literally you're, your last days of freedom. And yeah. I guess from 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 his point of view, it must have been very weird and probably weird for you as well to sort of be there with him and like, yeah. must have talked about all sorts of things we, yeah we talked more than we photographed for sure like you know i wanted to make pictures but i also clearly understood that his time was limited so there were times we hung out and we just kind of drank beer and talked about stuff mm-hmm. it was clearly an agonizing time for him but it was, it was a very introspective time too um mm. yeah so how so how long did you have like how long did you between well first of all between yeah. deciding to do it um mm-hmm. and, well between finding out that he was going in, yeah. in, inside was it did it all happen quite quickly I think it was around a week if oh. i remember right because there was he told me he might be going in yeah but it wasn't confirmed i don't know if the i can't remember the legal process but basically it was like it looks like i'm probably going to be Mm. you know getting sentenced um and then it got confirmed and then he had this time period mm. to before i think uh, i haven't seen it in a long time but spike lee has a movie i was about to say 25, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of the similar present uh premise yeah. but no it's a totally different world uh, in new york city yeah. for that movie i was about to reference that because it's just mm-hmm. been in one, on my mind the whole time when i was yeah. looking at this that I, I i think that's one of spike spike's best movies actually it and i think it's movie, kind of yeah. quite uh it's quite sort of um perhaps one of his lesser known ones it must have been on my mind to some degree um i think i mentioned this before in other interviews but um it crossed my mind to like the fire pictures at the end for instance that was a hangout with a bunch of friends but i just kept it with him just him in in isolation kind of um so there were there was a pull to photograph something more in terms of his family and friends saying goodbye or to to do something a little bit more broad in in its scope but i just kept getting drawn to just pictures of him and um just sort of these textures right. that, that, that correlate with with um, the life he has known. Yeah, so you could have opened it out a little more and and, mm-hmm. and, and brought in other a cast of characters yeah. in a way to the, yeah. to the narrative, but you've decided that it's about him and about his experience in a sense. Yeah, I find that um, that's how I tend to work. I just edit down really because it's only twenty seven, twenty eight pictures maybe, yeah. and um, yeah, it's just a concise um, statement and. Mm. Um, there are other people who make that kind of work, so yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, it was just more of a yeah poetry around that. Mm. Um, poetry comes up quite a lot. I, I was talking to someone yesterday. Well, I think it was one of the attendees. You know, the kind of relationship between poetry and photography seems to be mm-hmm. a particular thing, and uh, there's something uh, about those two, mm-hmm. you know, mediums that. Um, uh, go together so- well somehow, mm-hmm. um, and you know that you were influenced, as we said, by by poetry for Grey's the Mountain Sense, and I mm-hmm. think there's probably been quite a lot of photographers who have been. Mm-hmm. But um, were you interested in poetry even from when you were younger? 
Um, not particularly. Mm. I don't think I've read uh, a ton more poetry than most people have. Do you feel though that um, you know that it somehow lends itself to you know a kind of relationship with photography, or there there are sort of uh, maybe there are parallels? I think they're parallels. I think photography and poetry are kind of cousins, or they're very linked. Yeah. Um, I think. The reason I like to think about poetry in relation to photography is that because photographers use um, the world outside and social issues um, and um, a lot of concerns they have about things happening politically or in society, um, there's a sense of obligation for it to be useful. Mm, Yeah. And poetry um, is useful, but not in the way that we think of mm. it <laughs> when we think of like uh, the, the utility of a, a, a message of activism or um, like there are people right now in war zones who are documenting pain and horror and um, those photos in themselves are a call to action mm. and what they do is an act of service um, and the kind of work I do and the kind of work I'm most interested in um, doesn't have that same utility and I think it's poetry I think of it as akin to poetry and it it too is an act of service but in a much different capacity Mm. so um, I think coming from a documentary tradition where there is all of this um, sense of responsibility or obligation to that you as a photographer you want to seek to affirm that however incrementally or however imperfectly photography can help to guide our world to a better place and my faith in that might not be as durable as it ought to be so um i think of the poet's role in society and um stand behind that importance Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i've said it before i think on the podcast but it seems to me that it's also about what they share is this that it's about distillation in a way that you know mm. kind of poetry is about a distillation of of language and and it, photography is really about some other kind of you know distilling mm-hmm. some essence of of uh, you know what you see visually into this mm. kind of actual you know kind of fixed image uh, I yeah. don't know I mean because both are it's a process of editing like photography, you go out into the world and you can point your camera at anything, but you only choose this one right, thing. Exactly, yeah. And then after you get thousands of those, then you have to edit it down even more. And um, obviously, poetry is a short form of fiction, um, and so efficiency and effectiveness mm-hmm. is key. So to try to be as compelling and as cogent as possible exactly. with, with this little. It is that process of distillation. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Thank so you. Both you, just, in, yeah. you just articulated the point I was trying to make much, yeah, be- yeah, much better than I did. So both in um, in form, in in process, maybe, and to its meaning to culture, mm. humanity. They they're just they're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> the two yeah. mediums. Kissing cousins. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen references to Towns Van Sant also in your right. in your work. Uh, yeah. I'm not a great. I mean, I'm not a great expert on uh, on country music, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not indigenous to the place I'm from. That's for sure. But, but I love it though. <laughs> uh, but uh, I tell you what, man. I mean, that guy. Fuck his lyrics alone. You know, he talk mm-hmm. about poetry. Yeah. Um. He, he's a he's a Texas guy, is he? Yeah. He grew up 
I think in Houston. Mm. Or I'm I'm not sure where he was born, but he was a Houston guy from mm. what I remember. And then he lived in Austin during the other parts of uh, latter parts of his life. Yeah. Very cool. So um yeah, Towns Van Zant. Um, there's just a great kind of you know Willie Nelson and all that coming from Texas. Mm. It's a real uh, wonderful. Yeah, part of life. So you played music when you were younger. Not that, not that good. Not that punk. <laughs> no, 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 it was more of a punk thing, right? Yeah, in high school, it was a good way to spend time with your friends. And after high school, um, I hopped in a van with a bunch of my best friends and hit the road and played yeah. in a variety of different punk bands. So I got to experience the world that way. I think, cool. Was it Nelson I was talking to? Nelson Chan, mm. or maybe someone else? But talking about the um, the. Um, how formative it was to to be in a band because it, you were dealing with all these responsibilities at like 19 years old, having to book shows and write songs. Hmm. So it was a creative uh, pursuit mixed with somewhat of a business pursuit. And uh, yeah, if I ever have kids, I would encourage them to play in DIY punk bands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause it, yeah, so yeah, you, you wouldn't necessarily expect it to, to, to be useful, but um, you can see why it would be. And, and in terms of your photography, has it also kind of carried through? I mean, not, I literally a punk rock ethos. Mm-hmm. I think you were into skating as well, weren't you? Oh no, not not so much. I mean, I hung out with that crew. I was yeah. never good at skating, but um, yeah, like that. It all comes from the same thing. Like you look at some of the American filmmakers who have come to prominence, like Mike Mills and Spike Jones and those dudes. Um, uh, like they came from a skateboard culture, punk rock culture, where um, everything they were wanted to do, uh, they did themselves mm. and they made skate videos and those skate videos turned into feature films later down the line. Also thinking about the community around the DC punk scene back in the minor threat days, um, they were operating outside of the mainstream and anything they wanted to do, they did mm. just in terms of starting their own record labels or putting their own stuff out. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think there's that great documentary called salad days, um, about the DC punk scene mm. and Dave Grohl was a part of it back in the day until he went out to Seattle and got into the grunge scene but he talked about that ethic that was instilled in people where it's like um, prior to that sense of um, DIY if you wanted to put out a record you'd have to go get a record label or mm. you'd have to know your uncle would have to be some hotshot or whatever and you know Dave Grohl was talking like well if my kid comes to me and says I want to put out a record I'd just be like good you better make it great, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's it. And I mean, well, you've carried it through. I mean, you you're doing your own publishing. That's a good example of that yeah. sort of uh, you know. Let's just you know we'll do it ourselves. Kind of an mm-hmm. ethos. You 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 um, have uh, trespasser books with um, Matthew Genitempo. Yeah, and I think you started that p- perhaps with no particularly kind of grand ambitions but yeah. what what was the thinking behind obviously it gave you a, a forum through which to publish your own mm-hmm. work both of you How's it that was uh, it was the book you have in your hands yeah. that inspired the the imprint good goddamn. because yeah because i like to talk about good goddamn like it's more of a short essay or a short story rather than this grand monographic novelistic kind of pursuit mm. so when i did it um it, I, I talked to Kevin, who uh, had published uh, Graze the Mountain Sends, and I think by that time he was working with Twin Palms Publisher. So I showed him Good Goddamn and said, what do you think? And um, he, he liked it and wanted to publish it, but there was a part of me that didn't want people to get Good Goddamn confused with like the next big follow-up because mm. it was so much different. And right. um, um, yeah, I've referred to it as like kind of a inspired by John Cassavetes kind of spirit where it's just like, let's just fucking go do this mm. and whatever it is is we're, it'll be okay it's mm. like god will provide kind of stuff yeah, whereas yeah. in my other work is a lot more slower kind of um 
and more um, yeah meticulous, I guess, in terms of production, shooting and production. So with Good God Damn, it was just like, well, let's, let's just do this under our own thing, because Matthew and I had been talking about that for a while. It was just the opportunity to go get it out there. Mm. No, I love that, and I love I love the sort of unpretentiousness of it. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's almost like this is kind of a z a zine yeah, kind of a zine plus zine yeah. plus. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got that uh, ethos. And you know, when you talk, uh, which we are going to be doing all this week, when you talk about photo books, and you know, talk to the the, the photo book kind of uh, enthusiasts. I don't know. Um, one can sometimes you know be left with the uh, idea that it's some kind of sacred thing at mm-hmm. a book you know that and there is a preciousness about it sometimes mm-hmm. you know and and a pretentiousness also that it's got to be this perfect fucking thing you know yeah. and i just feel like that's it does that's a lot of pressure you know yeah. and why does it there's lots of different ways of doing it and i guess totally. you know you sort of almost this is the the kind of uh, the example in a way of that yeah i think that that i think photo books can be a lot of things and um there's just like like it doesn't have to be what people perceive it ought to be. Mm. There's so many different ways to put photos on paper and share it with your friends and community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let me. Uh, we went back a little bit, so let's stay stay back in the past. Um, did did you grow up in a fairly creative environment? I think your mum was was possibly quite influential she in was, a kind of creative way. Yeah, she was um, really. Uh, she always encouraged creativity. Mm drawing and making things out of clay and yeah um there's something about my generation where um parents i think were culturally encouraged to tell their kids to go to go reach for the stars (laughs) like that was part of what i heard growing up yeah yeah and then my dad was a musician oh he Um, was yeah he played the flute and um my dad's side of the family is really musical side of the family too and orchestra and things like that so that was in the house um, a lot, but my dad kind of took a different path and went to Texas and worked in construction and hmm. did his own thing. Wow, um, that's that's an interesting kind of. It feels like you know, a construction guy who played the flute. It seems like there's an there's an interesting kind of uh, uh, almost yeah. Those two things seem mutually exclusive somehow. I'd, it's funny. I I don't know if this comparison is fair, but uh, if you've ever seen Five Easy Pieces, I kind of th- yeah. I kind of think of my dad as Jack Nicholson's right. character in that movie. But it's that's not a great <laughs> an, uh, comparison for obvious reasons if you've seen the film. But um, yeah, that that maybe is kind of what it was because he yeah. came from a uh, family of Presbyterians and. Um, uh, he just wanted to do his own thing. Mm, he, no. ra- he raised this uh, totally in a secular way, and I think um, music was really pushed on him, really um, in his youth, and mm. he, he just didn't he didn't give us those responsibilities, I suppose. Okay, yeah. So um, you, you didn't put any pressure on your, you know, no, let, let you do yeah. your own thing. I mean, he, he was cool enough to buy me an electric guitar when I was twelve or thirteen. Yeah, but uh, he didn't insist that I go take lessons and right. just like whatever you just whatever you here it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that. So, like, um, what was your journey to photography then? Like, wh- when mm. you were at school and stuff, were you like, were you very much focused on the on the creative stuff, or did you were you quite, did you have quite a sort of um, academic sort of tendency as well? Um, in high school, no, I didn't have an academic tendency. Again, like going back to playing in punk bands, and whatnot, oh, yeah. like it was just like living for the weekend, basically. And then uh, after I got kind of like the maybe maybe something out of me in that way. Then I started getting really into books and movies and reading all the great novels that I could get my hands on at that time and watching foreign films and uh, discovering how powerful 
art and cinema and literature could be. Mm. And I think that coincided with uh, when I started picking up a camera. So, Did you like experiment with moving images though or like yeah i would have liked to do that no no, i did yeah um but just the independence of photography just was so much more uh not appealing but realistic Mm. yeah 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 yeah, more accessible and you just go do it yeah it feels like you kind of um move quite freely between color and black and white you Mm -hmm. don't it doesn't seem like you're kind of very wedded to one or the other um you know grace mountain sense is is color work and then uh good goddamn is black and white what you know is that you just picking what seems right for that particular yeah. project yeah i've yet to combine both of them in the same publication but maybe i'll do that in the future but yeah it's just um right tool for the right job yeah, yeah. and it is like i use the word intuition a lot when i talk about my work and it's just kind of gauging the scene and figuring out should this be in color or black and white mm. and then the broader body of work of course it has to be consistent throughout yeah so so you went to hartford this is a kind of a legendary um place which i've come to um you know i don't know anything about it but certainly it gets referenced a lot mm-hmm. i mean especially you know somewhere like this and it's uh, yeah. the, the alumni tell me a little bit about that experience for you and and what makes it so special it sounds like it's it's this you know place that throws out a lot of you know and talent i didn't know that at the time whenever uh, i signed up for oh, you it didn't? <laughs> i was the, i was in the first graduating class Oh, so, really? Yeah, so so, yeah. it's, so that uh, it hadn't been a thing before that? No, no. But we it was a rad class. We had Jay Carrier, who did elementary calculus. We have Nelson Chan, who's, you know, uh, oh, so much great stuff. Um, Tim Carpenter. Um, yeah. You were all there. Yeah. yeah same class. The same, okay, yeah, it was, wow. It was kind of a magical time. I, I for, for whatever reason, you know, I kind of imagined that this was a thing that was, you know, had been a kind of institution for forever. Like, you go back to the 70s. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. 2012 was the first class that, ah. that did it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really been impressed with what uh, the students from there have done in a short amount of time. Mm. You know, because well, so many great books. And, mm. yeah, so. Were there particularly inspiring kind of tutors or teachers or the people who who set the thing up i mean like who were the kind of most important kind of influences yeah that was um another really one of the great aspects of the program was um uh the program was kind of conceived by robert lyons um and mary fry i think had a lot to do with it too um and basically because it was limited residency they could bring in these rock stars so to speak who probably wouldn't have time to commit to a full-time campus job but who could come in for a few weeks at a time to do guest critiques and things of that nature so we had alec like such an amazing cast of characters who would either come in as guest critics or um uh just we'd visit their studios uh justin curland um lois connor um Oh, just like, yeah, great, yeah. great folks. Inspiring set of people. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to be talking about? I'm just interested in, in, in a presentation you've got, got coming. I mean, yeah. you've put, I'm sure you're relatively uh, experienced mm-hmm. at, at sort of presenting your work and, and, and yeah. giving, giving talks. And, uh, and I guess you've probably got some sense of what the people here are 
going to be most you know benefit from in terms of the the, the, the wisdom that you have to impart but mm. can you talk a little bit, bit about um the, you know the sort of thing you might be or are you just literally going to say here's some pictures and, I, th- I think it might be the latter <laughs> i haven't done i haven't uh fine tailored it too much to this group yeah um but i'll just talk about my work right. and uh, go through the projects and um I've in interviews and grant applications and so on. I've talked about my work, so I'll probably just do that. Take, take some of that and let people know what I'm thinking about. But um, like with podcasts and with artist lectures, it's always a bit of a daunting thing because uh, sometimes less is more, and mm. sometimes the conversation around the work will ruin its mystery or explain it too much or what. So it's always kind yeah. of a different, difficult balancing acts. Like what, what is actually helpful? Yeah. I was to, thinking about the this. appreciation of the work. I mean, you know, talking to someone who's done 170 podcast yeah, yeah. episodes about photography. Well, what are your thoughts it on it? seems yeah. a weird thing for me to suddenly go, actually, is it really even a desirable thing to get artists to talk about their, their work? You know, like, you know, are you letting light in upon magic to some extent to, uh, you know, have people somehow you know, force people in a way to, to mm-hmm. articulate themselves? I mean, you are brilliantly articulate, I've got to say. You know, you really are. Not everyone is mm-hmm. and not everyone wants to uh, talk about their stuff. And maybe that's one reason certain people you know sort of turn down the invitation it's yeah it's, it's it can be daunting i don't mean to question this pursuit you have <laughs> no no <laughs> i mean yeah, it's no, great i'm a no, regular listener it should be um, it should be questioned the same as anything but else no be. i i definitely think that a lot of information provided in conversation about photography and art is extraneous it, mm. it just doesn't help one's appreciation of the work right um robert adams talked about having to write a wall text um for an exhibition, maybe it wasn't a wall text, some statement to go mm. along with an exhibition. And he said he had to rewrite it like a hundred times. So just so the what? words wouldn't get in the way of the pictures. Um, and I, I mean, there are other um, examples of this. Igmar Bergman, I think, I'm probably getting the shit all wrong, but right. <laughs> Igmar Bergman had a press conference uh, some time ago because um, he made these wonderful, uh, beautiful, yet often confounding movies that required a lot of um, thought and contemplation. And he was at a press conference, and he was asked by a reporter to either remark on the film or explain something, and he just refused, <laughs> if I'm remembering this right. And he's like, no. He said, I know there's a conversation happening about this film, but I made my contribution to that conversation when I made by the movie. By making the film, yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to say what the movie already said in this context. <laughs> because I'll just say it worse. So yeah. um, I can appreciate that. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, why, you know, you've chosen to express yourself in a, in a particular medium, you know, for the very reason that yeah. uh, those other ways to express yourself might not necessarily be appealing to you. I also, I, I don't know, I just feel like I put so much, and a lot of photographers do this, you just put so much of yourself into the actual pictures. Um, and I think that that my work is better than who I am in terms of a spokesperson for it. Like there's just... The, yeah, the pictures say it. So in situations like this, I'm I'm happy to be sitting across from a delightful guy like you and having this conversation. But there's also part of it that feels like, you know, is it going to help the work? Maybe. Is it going to detract from the work? Maybe. So there's always kind of this sense of um, self, self, um, you know, cr- criticism mm. and concern. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. And yeah. um, I guess the well, I, I can. I suppose in, I can speak from from experience in that um, I can only really echo what the people who listen to the podcast say to me, which is mm. that um, it's incredibly inspiring to hear from yeah. 
uh, photographers who you know you admire and it's um, you know I, I get it all the time you know like yeah. uh, people like your work and they want to know a little more about who is this person you know yeah. like what makes them tick and and uh, and uh, I think that's an understandable um, mm. impulse you know to to, to want to feel oh yeah I can uh, yeah. you know, I, lo- I like to hear about that person saying whatever some yeah. you know random thing about their yeah. childhood or or what influenced them and uh, yeah I guess you know yeah I guess you know as long as they aren't full of shit I think <laughs> I think it's, it's the key yeah yeah no absolutely um, well that will that would I don't think that's ever happened <laughs> that's good <laughs> and photographers are you know in as much as one can can make a huge sweeping statement generally a nice bunch of people i agree you know yeah. who are just trying to fucking you know express themselves yeah, and totally. uh, you know certainly don't want to uh hurt anyone or be judgmental i mean certainly yeah. there's a lot of in- insecurity of course and uh, that can sometimes be problematic you know mm-hmm. at, at, with all creative people yeah there can be some um ego problems um but again that's only happened once or twice i'll i'll gloss over it up, I'll, <laughs> I'll t- i can tell you off off mic at some point yeah, um, now listen what tell me about vessels is that still an ongoing um project for you that's that's something that i've sort of come across i feel like i can talk about it in the past tense and the present tense okay yeah because like everyone's because i've done a big show i did a i did a big show of it in buenos aires and uh, like I, when I walked in that gallery, I thought, "Wow, I, I did it!" So yeah. <laughs> I think there's a sense of finality to it in that regard. But with the emphasis put on the book these days, obviously the book is going to be the, 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 right. the big thing. Um, so I'm still shooting for the book because you know um, it still needs work. Yeah. But yeah, I've been shooting that work for a while now, and it's a uh, it's a project shot in the southwest desert area, um, and the 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 project contains a lot of pictures of travelers. Uh, uh, hitchhikers, uh, yeah. highway drifter kind of people. Met a lot of people living out of their cars in this nomadic lifestyle. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, just playing in bands back in the day, driving across the West, working in small towns in the West and mining towns. I would travel all these distances, and always on the highway, I would come across people, you know, carrying a bag, trying to make their way across this vast, almost biblical kind of setting. And I was always interested, like, where are they coming from? Where are they going to? So that led me to take a lot of portraits, and obviously with my style, portraits go along with landscapes and still lives, and um, yeah, the, the the project is just an effort to to show that mm, that Southwest Highway um, nomadic lifestyle a lot of people are living out there. Uh, you can find on the road, um, but yeah, that's been going on a while, um, and um, it'll be a book one of these days. Mm. Yeah. So what was the process? You like, literally just jumped in your car and, and, and you, you know you kind of find these people. I mean, like, do you have to go to certain places, or, or if you if you get in a car in that part of the states, it's just you know you're going to come across them. Right? How did you go about making it happen? Is it? I've been taking intermittent trips, maybe a couple times a year from home in Texas, out west, um, and finding the, the people to get in front of the camera is pretty easy. Like mm. uh, I think I've talked about this before, but. If you're driving 75, 80 miles an hour down the highway and you're only stopping at the corporate, you know, travel stop for gas or staying at the Hampton Inn or eating at Denny's and people who are living on the road might escape your attention. But if you just stop and look a little bit closer, there are people flying signs, asking for rides. There are a lot of makeshift campsites set up along a lot of the roadways. There are certain towns that... uh, have like a gravity for travelers like a place like Quartzsite, Arizona mm. that I've been going to for years and years um, 
this little towns along I-10 and I-40, which are the big main highways between the West Coast and the rest of the country. Um, I guess they both go all the way across. Um, so yeah, just, the, just you can just find people mm. traveling and they're all out there for different circumstances mm. and reasons. Some people are, you know, trying to reconnect family with family. Some people are trying to find jobs um, and other people are just trying to put stuff behind them. There's mm. just a real sense of searching or um, just an attempt to put yeah. something from the past behind you and hit the road. Um, so yeah. yeah, it reminds me of that movie though that, that just uh, came out quite recently. I've forgotten the title of it. Nomadland. Nomadland. Yeah, Land, yeah. yeah. there's yeah. a lot of intersecting themes uh, for sure. I'm sure Nomadland had no, never, they never saw my work before, and um, I'd been working on my project long before that was the film mm. that was in production. But um, I think when you notice something going on in the culture, there's going to be this natural kind of thing where projects similar to one another might emerge. Like, yeah, um, you know. Um, certain like i don't know you think about 1998 had the thin red line mm. and saving private ryan come out in the same year it's like right. epic war movies like yeah. i'd probably choose thin red line but there's something that happens in culture where sometimes things emerge Absolutely. at the same time because of just the temperature that's that something needs to happen in yeah. terms of what you need to say about the world yeah i wonder if it's a kind of maybe it's a a Trumpian, a kind of—I don't know if, if 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 Trump's kind of presidency might might play into it in some way. I mean, again, it's sort of that mm-hmm. that kind of there's an there's a romanticism to it as mm-hmm. there is with a lot of yeah. you know American uh, stuff. But there's also yeah, it is against it is the sort of the the uh, antithesis of the American dream in a way. You know that that these people are yeah. probably you know. Don't necessarily choose to to be in that position, but I don't know. You tell me. I'm I'm making all sorts of assumptions. I mean, it's all different. Like a lot of people definitely hit the road for a feeling of adventure, but other people look like they're out of the, you know, the the Jode family from the Grapes of Wrath. Mm. It's just circumstances that put them in these places. I think what was illustrated in Nomadland was, um, um, yeah, clearly people were feeling pinched financially, and they thought that this was the way to live life. And 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 what I liked about that movie was um, some of the beauty it conveyed. Whenever they did find their 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 people and their community, um, so yeah. that that's a great thing. Um, but it it's not a great thing that they have to do that because of the the kind of inhumane economics of this country. And I think um, yeah, I think we need movies like Nomadland to show this country for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Why Buenos Aires? What what was the what? That's where you said the uh, show show ended up. Um, oh, um, what did you say Buenos Aires? Oh, Pablo Cabarro is just a uh, really great photographer who was affiliated with that museum, um, uh-huh. uh, Fola in Buenos Aires, and um, he just loved the work and wanted to show it. Oh, wonderful! So he, he has a he uh, yeah, just likes American photography, and he liked my work, so mm. it all worked out. Awesome. He, he's a fantastic photographer too, and it's just a nice. It was a really nice big space, so I was able to, you know, get everything. They they put mm. the bill on everything, so it was really, really, um, really good to see. I noticed on your website that you do often include sort of you know kind of uh, images of the work mm-hmm. in situ. Yeah, uh, and I was interested into as to why that was important to you. Well, I think in the world of you know, a post-internet world, uh, the the digital revolution of recent decades, um, this new space of iPhones and NFTs, and mm. uh, I mean, just looking down at my iPhone right now, um, that's just such an undignified way to look at 
photographs you put a lot of time and effort into. Yeah. Um, so the pictures on my website of installation shots or pictures of books is just to remind people that what you're looking at right now on screen is a very compromised version of what these pictures ought to be. And I know that exhibitions are only up for a few months, and I know that books are only printed in an edition of, of you know, 1,500 mm. or whatever, but um, it's basically telling the viewer if you can. I would like this website to be a stepping stone for you to actually uh, experience the book, or the exhibition, rather. It's just sort of attempting to remind people that prints and physical tactile things matter in this digital age, um, so I don't want to see that lost. No, absolutely. Well, you invoked the name of the infamous uh, nft thing which I, I still don't even really get and understand what it is i don't know if that's something you're interested in exploring or if it's the anathema to you i'm curious but i don't know enough about it yeah, yeah. i think i think a lot of people are in this phase right now where it's like all yeah. right we guess need to like kind of see what's going to happen with this yeah. or f- figure it out so you yeah. sort of you're aware of the fact that you ought to at least find out what it is but um you know what you're not necessarily uh, i don't know i just i don't want i just i just really need to learn more about it yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean obviously there are you though the environmental concerns but there's always there's always this kind of justification or if equi- uh, you know equivocation around mm. that and it's just like well i just i just need to do more research mm. yeah but you've also you do you do do commissions you do do you know jobs uh, as we yeah. would say and yeah. uh, editorial stuff and it feels like when, when people look at your work it might they might sort of be left with the impression that you're you know the, the type of photographer who's very much you know kind of intent on on plowing your own furrow as it were but mm. uh, but it seems like yeah you you do kind of tick all kinds of different uh, boxes it where do you enjoy doing doing commissions and and I mean apart from that obviously you you know earn yeah. some money doing them yeah. I love I love seeing uh, some of the portrait. I mean, I looked at that one you did. Was it Leon Bridges that you you did yeah. a portrait of? Yeah, really beautiful. I loved it, and I was like, Thanks. "Wow!" And like you say, you did. Um, I, uh, you've done some cover uh, cover stuff, and you've been commissioned to do some f- quite high profile mm-hmm. um, stuff. Is that is it? Do you find that you know the discipline of doing that somehow feeds back into into your own work? Totally. Yeah. It, it keeps you sharp, and um, it just puts you in situations or places where you wouldn't be in had you not been hired to go there and get the picture mm. and um and i value that in life i think it's meeting different people getting a photograph a musician one day or like some conservationist the next and um you know you're always going around and people are kind of telling you go do this or that and then you're there and you get the picture and mm. i'm grateful for it um obviously if i had all the time and money in the world i'd just want to make my personal projects perhaps but um there's certainly something both, um, yeah, just uh, personally and obviously financially rewarding about doing the, the commissioned work. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of what I do. I mm. mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that side of things so often because you have to figure out how to stay afloat and, yeah. and make money and keep things going. How's the, you know, kind of as we're coming out of the two years of mm-hmm. of insanity with COVID, um, I've, it's funny how I've spoken to a, a few people this week who you know on balance have actually had a really positive um you know experience in as much as um the covid thing has as has, you know for one reason or another led to some fairly kind of significant and really positive life changes for them which is really interesting mm-hmm. to hear you know like you know people who've ended up in an entirely different situation yeah. to what they would be um 
how how's it been for you? I, I guess you haven't had that much in terms of commissions, but um, mm-hmm. has it, ha, ha, have you been able to continue to sort of work on your own stuff, or did it, was it a period of kind of mm-hmm. going home and, and and having some time to sort of uh, ponder? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I think a lot. Yeah, a lot of things happened in all that downtime. I think it led people to a lot of contemplation, um, a lot of. Uh, consideration of what's important in life and how you're going to spend your time on this earth mm. i mean you probably heard of the term the great recession mm. uh, not the great recession i'm sorry the great resignation oh the great resignation my, i misspoke um yeah but there's a coin term called the great resignation where people are you know, quitting their office jobs and pursuing their passions mm. so i think there's a lot of i know it took clearly this horrible pandemic for people to maybe realize some things that would help their um uh, help their lives personally and professionally. But, um, yeah, during the downtime, I kind of made a body of work. I just drove around Texas dirt roads, and I might have a book coming out of that work. So I was able to stay busy. And then, um, yeah, with with both commissions and um, personal work, it wasn't too... Um, too detrimental mm. during the, the whole the whole pandemic, honestly. Mm. Like at the beginning, it was kind of scary, and we were wondering when we'd, we'd be able to go back on commercial sets again and be all around. Um, but um, it, for my life, it wasn't particularly bad. Mm, yeah. That's good. Yeah. And so um, with Trespasser, I mean, if you do the Vessels stuff, will that be published through through your own imprint? Yeah, we not still sure? haven't figured this out because yeah. I'm sure there's probably a lot of... Um, a lot of publishers might be interested in it but then again um there is something really great about doing it myself Mm. so all options are on the table at this point i would say yeah um what what have you got to to look forward to in terms of uh, maybe even bringing out some other people's stuff through through chess bar so is anything in the pipeline that you can (laughs) we're so stoked on um a few books we have coming up um Rough and Cut by Abigail Varney, Australian photographer who did a job, um, who did a, um, a project in uh, kind of the Australian outback in a in an opal mining town. But it's, mm-hmm. the book's not about opal mining at all. It's just like a, okay. the reflection on the, the the interesting characters out out there. Abigail and, Varney. Yeah, and then um, Agnieszka Sosnowska, who I think I mentioned in our last podcast. Oh, so, maybe. Yeah, we'll be doing her book too. Um, Matthew's got a new one coming out. Um, uh, yeah, he Great. did. A, he did a COVID project too. He just walked around the train tracks in West Texas with his partner to kill time during the quarantine. Oh. It's this beautiful uh, kind of poetic look at those uh, those outings, kind of similar to uh, Robert Adams' uh, Perfect Company. Wow, perfect places. I think. Yeah, perfect places. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That just goes to show. You know, you can uh, find the sort of silver lining in the cloud. You can can use these weird situations. Not that that yeah. we've ever been in a pandemic before, but mm-hmm. you know, you can you can still make work and uh, you know turn turn it to your creative advantage. Yeah, I mean, I was just talking to Tim Carpenter, and he said he wrote a book that never would happen. Yeah, had not had all the downtime and. Talking to other friends who got scripts made and uh, scripts written and projects done. Um, mm. it, it's so boring to say, but I archived a bunch of negatives and digital files that I wouldn't. I had been so irresponsible prior, but that was like probably wouldn't have happened without mm. like that front part of COVID. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. The, the the bread baking days of COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the sourdough uh, phase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Well, Brian, thank you so much uh, for, for talking with me. I've, re- I've really, you know, I've been really looking forward to doing this for quite some time. Probably thank since, uh, certainly since Mannheim when we saw each other uh, exactly uh, two years ago, pre-COVID. Uh, it's amazing how... Um how long that's been but also how mm. short that feels yeah. it's like how, do, how does that work yeah out? it's a mind warp because it feels quick. like a decade ago and a couple months ago at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah all right well look, let's get on and do the um the bonus questions for the uh, right. for the for the members thank you so much brian thank you it was wonderful talking to you mm-hmm.